Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. If you'd remain standing for the reading of the word. John chapter 1 verse 29, a short verse for you today. The next day he saw, this is John the Baptist, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we come before you this morning, I pray your anointing upon your word, that you'd also open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive today, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been in a series we began last week leading up to Easter, uh, just entitled Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus uh, the teacher, and today we're going to be talking about Jesus the Lamb of God, and we're going to be receiving communion today. Our communion is an open communion. You do not need to be a member of this church. You do need to be a follower of Christ. And so if you haven't made that commitment, then you can let this pass you by, You'll find that in the tray is uh, really two cups, one on top of one another, and the one underneath has the bread, and the one on top has wine, so you can just separate those carefully without scattering it all over yourself, and uh, have those available, and then we'll take of it together at the end of the service. Now, I said that if you're not a follower of Christ, that you're really not to partake of this. Let it pass you on by. My hope, though, in part with this conversation today, is that if you've not made that commitment, or have not understood what it means to be a follower of Christ, that by the time we're finished with this conversation and we partake of this meal, that you will make a decision and that you will join us. We talked last week, as I said, about Jesus the teacher. And what did he teach about? His main theme was the kingdom of God, this, this different culture, this, this different rulership, this different um, allegiance and identity that was to overcome the entire world eventually at one point in time, a different way of doing things, of thinking and of acting. And at one point in time, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And I'm not going to put that up for you. I just want to read this to you real quick. Um, In John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He was a little concerned to be seen. said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is where this phrase born again comes from that you might have heard. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? I mean, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly. It was a way of emphasizing, like saying, hey, listen up. I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless born of flesh and born of the spirit. He talks a little bit about how the spirit of God um, bursts things within us and, and initiates it. As much as we can say that we come to God or come to Christ, the fact is unless the Holy Spirit makes us conscious 
of our need. Um, we can't even be aware of that. And so the, God's Spirit searches our hearts and draws us to him. And again, our prayer is that he'll do that this morning here for us and with us. And then he goes on later in the chapter, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so he goes to the Old Testament. And we're told today a lot that the Old Testament isn't relevant. That's really a ridiculous statement. The, the whole New Testament builds upon the foundation of the Old Testament. And, and it's an important part. Jesus thought so, obviously, because he's referencing it right here. And he's saying that, uh, um, you know, just as Moses in the Old Testament, lifted up the snake in the wilderness. All the children of Israel were being attacked by snakes, and they were dying due to their sin and being afflicted. And so God had instructed Moses to make a bronze snake and put it on a stick and raise it up. And he said, anybody who managed to hobble over and look at that, looks up at that, they'll be healed. And it was a precursor to Christ's crucifixion. It was a, it was a foreshadowing of that. And that's why Jesus is saying here, just as Moses lifted up this snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, in other words, myself, he's saying, Christ must be lifted up, put on the cross, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Many who looks on Christ and his sacrifice and his death and resurrection would have eternal life. And it's from that passage right there is verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, that it comes to John 3.16, which we all know from watching football. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? By being born again. How do we get born again? The Holy Spirit makes us conscious of our sinful condition before a holy God. And as we look at Christ high and lifted up on that cross, as we recognize that he sacrificed for us, and this is why John is sitting here and talking about this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's pointing to this action, and we'll explain as we get into that we're going to take here today of communion. My earliest recollection of communion was I was under the age of 10, uh, somewhere 7, 8, 9 probably or so. And it's not a positive one. I confess my sin to you today. I liked grape juice. And we used grape juice in those days, and still do, uh, for those of you that will be talking today. And um, I don't know that my parents allowed me to partake in communion. It's a decision of the parents as to whether a child does that or not. And I don't know if I'd been conscious or not or been allowed or not, but I know that I liked grape juice. And um, when the communion was finished, uh, they took it to a back room. It was a small church, took it to a back room and left it there. And after the service, I found it. And I liked grape juice. So um, that's my earliest memory, and I'm, I'm afraid to say that I probably am condemned for that. Um, but I was not conscious, therefore grace is given. Uh, one of my next points of remembrance would be, not a point of remembrance, but an, an intersection in my life that I didn't think of until I was at that moment of time. And I ask you today here right now, how many of you, it's not common in our culture today, so how many of you have never tasted, and let me finish, have never tasted lamb before? And gyros don't count. I'm not talking gyros, you know, anything like that. I'm talking roasted lamb. How many of you have never tasted that before? There's a few of us that still haven't, okay? I was 25 on my honeymoon the first time I tasted roasted lamb. I'd taken my wife and we'd gone up to Toronto because whenever you go on your honeymoon, you should take your wife with you. Or spouse, either way. Otherwise, just weird, okay? 
So we'd gone up to Toronto, taken the train on up. We were at the Royal York Hotel, and uh, there's a place called the Acadia Room, and um, lamb was on the menu. I had never had, 25 years old, never had lamb before. And I can still remember it. It was only five, ten years ago, and it's like bright clear in my mind. <laughs> We've been married for 10, 10 years, 38 now. <laughs> so, close to 38 now. Um, and I just remember it was mint sauce, and it was just like, this is amazing. Oh, it was just so good. But up until that time, I had never tasted it. It's not a common um, staple in America, but it was very common in the time of Israel, extremely common, very much a part of what they would have experienced and had. And so when it comes up to this Passover meal, which is what's evoked in the scripture, but let's just put a pin in John one twenty nine, and let's jump to Mark 14.12. On the first day of the festival on unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Luke chapter 22, verse 7 puts it this way. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. I just want to draw out the idea that this was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb and the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed as part of this. Feast of unleavened bread. It was a one-week celebration. Unleavened bread means no yeast. And um, Passover would have been on the first day of that. Now, the Jewish people figured days differently than how we would figure those days. We start in the morning and go till dark, okay? They would start at 6 p.m. at sundown. That began the next day, and that ran through sundown of the next day. So from 6 p.m. until 6 p.m. the next day. So when Jesus and his disciples are having Passover, the first day of the of the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, of this whole one-week-long celebration, they would have begun that Thursday night after 6 p.m. at some point in time. So keep that as a thought. Um, the yeast, or the, 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 the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and, and what would have been part of this celebration would have been this flat bread, this yeastless bread. Not useless, yeastless. And this yeastless bread was because yeast was a sign of sin. It has this image of something that, that I'm not a big baker cooker, but I, I know that if you put yeast into, into the bread, it puffs it up. That's what gives us that puffy little thing that we like so much. In the same way sin, when it's in our lives, it puffs us up and fills us with pride and arrogance and so many other things. And and it's also, once it's in, it's almost impossible. To, it's impossible to get it out. It, it, it permeates every aspect of the loaf. When a good Jewish family would be celebrating that feast of unleavened bread and the Passover meal, um, one of the things they would do is they would take leavened uh, bread, you know, the type we all eat usually, that puffed up type with yeast in it, and they'd hide pieces of it around the house. And then the kids go searching for it, just like you would uh, in, in the old days for an Easter basket, okay? They go searching for it, and when they find all the little pieces of bread, they take it together, this yeast-filled bread representing sin, they take it outside, and then they burn it as part of the celebration. But the reality is, it's almost impossible to get rid of yeast. There's always going to be specks of it around. There's always going to be part of it somehow permeating who and what we are. And it puffs us up. 
can never really get the yeast out. This is why no Christian should ever have pride in any discussion, whether it's political, theological, familial, in whatever case or context, financial, there should never be a pride or arrogance. It should always be a recognition of God's grace within us that allows us to stand despite the sin, despite the things that are so much a part of, unfortunately, our lives. The Jewish people would have been celebrating this Passover meal now for over 1,500 years. Um, This meal encompassed a number of things that was to remind them of their time of slavery in Egypt before they were a nation and this whole sense of, of slavery and death that hung over them. And so it was a meal that had a lot of different strange flavors and, and, and aromas, all of which was to try to evoke that time period and what had taken place. There was salt water to remind people of the tears of slavery, the weeping that would have been involved, bitter herbs like horseradish and something like that that, that would have been there to remind people of the sour flavor of bondage. There was a fruit paste with cinnamon sticks to remind people of making bricks of clay and straw. The aroma evoked that for them. At the centerpiece was a lamb that had been prepared. And it was to remind them about how a lamb had been killed and, and spread over the doorpost. The last of the ten plagues was that every household was going to lose their firstborn son in that household. Unless they were listening to Moses like the Jewish people did and took a lamb without blemish, killed the lamb, sacrificed it, took the blood, and then spread it over the doorposts and alongside of the house. And then when the angel of death came along to cause a death in that household, he'd see the blood of that innocent lamb and would pass over that house. That house would live. No one would die in that house. And so a centerpiece of the meal of the Passover that had been celebrated for 1,500 days, or years rather, was not just the issue of these, 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 these salt that represented the bitter tears of slavery or the bitter herbs of horseradish for the, 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 the taste of flavor of the bondage or the, the cinnamon sticks to remind us of the aroma of the, of the work that we do. But there was also this meal of lamb to help us remember There was a lamb killed so that everyone in that household could live. There was flatbread. There was that made without yeast. Not only does it represent the purity, but also that it's quick. We're going to be heading out of town pretty fast because we've been liberated, and so we're freed. We're going to be traveling light and traveling quick, and we need something that won't spoil along the way. But also was to remember that sin puffs up our hearts. Being without sin, it was flat. Along with the, the meal that would have been involved of the, of the bread and all the other things we've talked about at this Passover meal, there would have also been um, four cups of wine. It was a great party. There would have been four different cups offered. And this was the custom. And it was made, they were, they were based upon the four promises that God made to Israel in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Promise number one, I'll bring you out. Number two, I'll free you from being slaves. Number three, I will redeem you. Number four, I'll take you as my own people and I will be your God. This is the same promise made to us today by God 
that whatever circumstances that we are in, that he will bring us out of them, that he will free us from being slaves to sin, that he'll redeem us and that he'll take us if we make this commitment as his own people and he will be your God and my God. Four cups of wine. I will bring you out. I'll drink to that. I'll free you from being slaves. I'll I'll drink to that one too. I'll redeem you. Definitely going to drink to that. I'll take you as my own people and I will be your God. A slow, quiet, thoughtful sip of that glass. It's thought that the one that Jesus inaugurated um, would have been the third one because it was the cup of redemption. And this was the action of redemption that he was doing. But this whole meal, this whole celebration was a meal of redemption at its core. This is a sacrificial lamb that's at the center of it. At Passover, Jerusalem grew, it's thought, from 25,000 people to 250,000. A quarter of a million people would flood the city to be around the temple and to celebrate Passover. It has been said that close to 20,000 lambs were slaughtered from 6 p.m. until 6 p.m. of Friday. From 6 p.m. Thursday to 6 p.m. Friday. 20,000 lambs just to satisfy the sacrifices and the meal requirements for the Passover. 20,000 lambs. And this was done every year for 1,500 years, this went on. Plus. The Jewish people knew this, and so... They knew that it was a repetitive action done over and over again. and knew it was supposed to expiate for sin. It was supposed to explain for sin or recover for sin. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking, and he doesn't sit here and say, hey, there goes Jesus, a really great teacher. Hey, there goes Jesus. He's a really cool guy. You want to hang out with him. There goes Jesus. He's a healer. There goes Jesus. He's really radical. No, he says, there goes Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God. They would have instantly understood what was being said. There's a, there's a somehow now God himself is providing a lamb. That's got to be special. And that will be one time and that's it. And it's going to cover everything. God himself is providing the lamb. And in case they didn't get it and they were that dull, he said, the lamb of God beat who takes away the sin of the world. This was who Jesus was. This was what they were understanding to know that no longer was there going to be this temporary filled in moments, but now there's going to be something permanent and for good. And, and, and understand this. Jesus is saying, come into the kingdom of God, that we're born again, and part of it is seeing him high and lifted up. And we look at that. Now, Jesus would have had the Passover meal sometime after 6 p.m. on Thursday. That was the, the beginning of their day. They finish communion. They go on to the garden. He's taken captive. He's brought before Herod. He's brought before Pilate. And then somewhere on Friday in the afternoon, he's executed. He's, he's, he's put to death on a cross. This is why I emphasize these earlier passages of scriptures that said it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb or this particular day on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed because here's the deal. That day... Passover is still going on. People are still having the Passover meal and lambs are still being slaughtered and sacrificed in the temple. And so as Christ is being lifted up on that cross and sacrificed, the Lamb of God, there are all these other lambs. In other words, it's supposed to happen on the day of Passover and it did. In the midst of all those thousands of lambs bleeding out their lives, the Lamb of God is sacrificed for all of mankind. 
for you and for me so that sin is covered once and for all so that we can now enter into a kingdom be members and, and parts of it so we can be born again. So that as much as we may still struggle with certain aspects of trying to understand that kingdom and act certain things out and our, our old reflexes and old culture will still invade, that we're still part of this kingdom and fully established, forgiven of our sin. Grace extended. The disciples gather with Jesus. Jesus gathers with how many disciples? Twelve. How many disciples? There. Okay, just want to make sure you're there. So there's 12 disciples and there's Jesus and, and they're reclining and, and this is a very interesting meal because at one point in time he challenges them and he says, just before they begin, one of you is going to betray me. And you know, you know, everyone sat there and go, Judas. They didn't. If you look at the scripture, when he says one will betray them, no one thought it was Judas. No one ever does. What they said was, is it me? Oh, Jesus, say it ain't me. It's not me, is it? There was a humility. There was a concern. There was unsettledness. In the midst of it, Judas is, is recognized as being the person. He leaves the room. This is a strange meal that we're going to partake of here today. This is a strange meal that drives one guest away, leaves all the others unsettled, and the host with a broken heart because he loved Judas. It's hard for us to understand that, but he loved Judas. But Judas didn't love Jesus. It's always tough when we love others and they don't love us back. Communion is not a safe meal. What happened on that night is usually what happens in this time. It drives some of us away. It draws others of us to our knees and draws us close. When you're in slavery, others determine where you go, who you marry. Your time is not your own. Your future has no hope. You're going to do the same thing that you did the day before, that you did yesterday, and today that you're going to do the next day and the day on. You have no hope. You have no future. You have no freedom. We're just locked in. We do whatever they dictate because we are not our own. And this is what slavery does. And it's a yeast that works through our entire lives. And, and it's something that on our own, as diligent as we may search through the house, we cannot by ourselves ever eliminate it from our lives. But Jesus can. And that's what this sacrifice was for. And at this Passover meal that was celebrated by the Jews over and over again for specific reasons... We as believers today could have the same testimony if they were to testify about their experience. Follow this. If they were to testify about their experience, it would be something like this. We were in a foreign land in bondage under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God. That's called faith took shelter under the blood of the lamb and he led us out. Now we're on the way to the promised land. We're not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us. And through blood sacrifice, we also have his presence in our midst. So he'll stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home, the kingdom of God. That, what they experienced there, is the exact same thing that we can claim and hold to experience today. 
So they go into the meal, and, and one leaves, and the other is unsettled, but the meal continues on. And Mark chapter 14, verse 22 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, said, Take it. This is my body. So he takes a piece of flatbread, maybe even larger than this, probably, and he would have broken it. And then he'd pass it around the table, probably both sides. He'd already broken it. That's the reason why he break it, a little more efficient, a little faster. And then after everyone had a piece of, of, of bread, he said, this is my body, this, this, this unleavened bread. It's sinless. There is no sin. There's no yeast in my life, he's saying. I am totally holy. I am God, and I've come to die for you. This is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup, Mark chapter 14, verse 23, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. It was this third cup of redemption. They drink two cups before this, but somehow there's something special about this one because Jesus takes pause, and they know it's the cup of redemption, and they already understand there's something different about this gathering, but now he speaks into it. This is my blood of the covenant, of this new agreement we have, which is poured out for many. So he would have taken... For the record, this is kosher wine. And he would pour it out into the cup and would have passed the cup around and they would have drunk it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. After they would have finished with this meal, then they would have sang a simple song and then they walk out to go to Gethsemane. It's after 6 p.m. on Thursday. The lambs are still being sacrificed, even as Jesus is praying in the garden. They're still being sacrificed in their hundreds and thousands, even as he's taken by Judas and the temple guards. All the next day, lambs are being slaughtered and, and, and sacrificed, even as he's taken before Herod and Pilate and back and forth. And then as the day progresses and the Passover continues on, they take him to a cross and they nail him to that cross and his blood comes down that cross and his body is broken on that cross. The lambs are still being slain and people are still having their Passover meals. John said, behold or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this is Jesus. This morning we come to this table. As believers, the world drinks to forget, we drink to remember. As believers, we come to recall what has been sacrificed on our behalf, on what great cost our freedom that we have from slavery, what that cost, and to remember that. If you're not a follower of Jesus... But this morning, the Holy Spirit whispers something to you of the awareness of your own brokenness and your own sin and the futility of the slavery that you find yourself locked into. And you can acknowledge that you really don't run your own life, that your passions and lusts and desires drive you and, and to things that should not be done or thought or, or, or encouraged. But this morning, you become aware of that and you look up and you see Christ and you realize he is the Lamb of God. Then this morning... You can join us at this meal. It's a simple act of repentance of saying, God, I'm aware of my sin. I repent of that. I'm disturbed by it.
And I want your grace and forgiveness and I accept the sacrifice, O God, of your son, that perfect lamb, for once and all, as his blood is shed over the doorposts of my house and my heart, that the angel of death passes over and I am entered into your kingdom as a newborn baby. That's you. Then you can join us this morning, today, at this time. And here's the interesting thing to me about this. The centerpiece of what is Christianity it's a dinner table it's not some other weird ritual or other thing it's a dinner table it's a place where fellowship occurs it's a place where there's a coming together and a sharing of stories and of life it's where the family comes together Jesus inaugurated this in the midst of close intimacy with those he loved. He welcomes anyone who will humble themselves before God and accept his grace to be part of that family. The meal that will be shared here this morning, this unleavened bread representing his body, the cup that represents the blood, it's a table that anyone is welcome to. There is no sin you have done that is so dark and so ugly as to have you denied this table. Arrogance needs to go away. Pride needs to dissipate and dissolve. You can't come to this table and carry that baggage with you. But there is no sin that has not found grace at this gathering point. And so in a few moments' time, The elements will be dispersed. And you have a choice that you can make, and it's your choice, and no one ever could nor should manipulate you into anything. It's your choice. If you're not prepared and have not committed your life to Christ, have not sought his forgiveness and grace at the foot of the cross, then let it pass you by. But know that the invitation's there for you. You're the one choosing to reject it. It's not God rejecting you. And for the rest of us, we come to this place of forgiveness and acceptance. This place of grace. And as much as we may be deeply aware of our shortcomings, what fills our senses is not the bitterness of the tears. It's not the stench of the straw and the clay. It's not the sour taste of the bitter herbs. It is the crisp snap of bread broken, of a life that was lived sinless and then sacrificed. It's the pungent aroma of the fruit of the vine the blood of Christ shed for us and it's at this table that we not only find fellowship with one another but we find fellowship with God and we are both broken and celebrating all at the same time is to this table 
then on behalf of Christ, I invite you. Let us pray. Father, we come before you as your children. And Lord, I pray that there are individuals here this morning that would heed the wooing of your Holy Spirit. And as they do that, they become aware of their condition or maybe they have been bitterly aware of their condition and never thought there was any hope. That this morning they would hear freedom and deliverance, rescue and restoration. That Lord, as we repent before your face, that you would draw us to your side. That as partake of this meal here today, that we would enter into the joy of your salvation. We come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. The scripture ends in the New Testament, the entire Bible, in Revelations and in the 22nd chapter. It says there's no longer going to be anything accursed. The curse is over. The throne of God and the Lamb are going to be in the center and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. There'll be no light or lamp, rather, of, of light or of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they'll reign forever and ever. God, the Father, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son, sitting at the right hand. If you prayed that today, if you accepted this at any point in your life, then you are part of the family of God. That means that you're not alone. And not only is God's Holy Spirit present with you, and not only do you stand in grace, but you also have brothers, sisters, grandfathers, grandmothers, crazy aunts, a couple of crazy uncles, <laughs> all part of the mix, folks, all part of the mix. And the table, there's always a seat for you. There's always a sin. Frost said, home is the place where when you go, they have to take you in. Father, I thank you for the home that you provide for us. I thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to walk in humility in an awareness of this great grace. I thank you, Lord, for the family of God. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us as your church. I pray for those of your family that are struggling and suffering in Ukraine right now and others who are trying to stand for the right in the midst of oppression in Russia and in China and in other countries around the world. God, guide us in these things. But this morning, we give you thanks. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world and ours. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. And the church said amen.